Welcome to the Melton Forge Works podcast. I'm going to take you along on my day-to-day adventures in bladesmithing and blacksmithing. I'll be talking about the people involved in the craft and the tools and the methods that go along with it. So thanks for listening. All right, I'm back. It's Sunday and it's about, I don't know, two o'clock in the afternoon and I'm on my way to go look at a post vice. Um, I met a guy locally who shares a similar interest in old tools and um, I think he does more woodworking than metalworking but um, anyway I, I met this guy not long ago I went and looked at a tumbler that he had like a big industrial steel tumbler and um, at the time I thought it might be a little bit too big for what I needed um, so I passed on it uh, but we've stayed in touch and um, anyway while I was there I noticed that there was a really nice post vice uh, in this area that was full of all other tools that he was storing and uh, I asked him you know if he had any interest in selling it and um, he said yeah and so I kind of I, I forgot about it and um, I didn't have any cash with me at the time. So anyway, I, uh, weeks went by and he asked if I was interested. And I said, yes, I'm interested. And then I got busy again. And uh, so uh, shame on me. I've, I've let this sit over there for a while. And uh, anyway, he reached out to me again and said, hey, I've got to move some stuff. And I saw this post vice. Are you interested? And it reminded me about it. So I'm going to look at it before I lose out on this opportunity. Um it's a, it's a, I think it's a six-inch uh, jaw post vise, which would be about one inch larger than either of my post vices I currently have, and it was in really, really good condition too. Um, one of one of my post vices um, is a four and a half or five inch, and it's in very good condition and I built a metal stand for it and it sits right near my anvil and um, I made some tong racks for it and so it's kind of my combination tong rack work table and vice area in my main forging spot and then on the other side of the shop I've got an older post vice that's not in nearly as good shape that I, I mainly just use it to clamp things up while I'm welding stuff. Um, it needs a new spring to be forged for it, and it just needs a little TLC. So what I think I'm going to do is is pull that post vise off the bench and uh, kind of fix it up, and um, I may sell it to kind of recoup the cost that I'm putting into this newer, larger post vise. So anyway, that's what I'm up to today. I am uh, going to go over there and look at this post vise, and I might look at that tumbler again. Um, it's I forget the name of it, but it's a rotary barrel type tumbler, and it's extremely heavy duty, a big cast iron frame that goes around it, and I want to say it's got a three-phase motor on it. So I would probably have to put a VFD on it, but I bought a tumbler 
big commercial vibratory tumbler a while back with the intent on tumbling the crosses that I make uh, in order to do less wire wheel brushing. And I ran that vibratory tumbler one time and it broke. And so uh, that was a big disappointment. And I'm, I'm pretty sure the motor burned up in it and uh, I just haven't taken the time to see what it would, what would be required to replace the motor on it. So I might take a look at the, at the big tumbler this guy has today and uh, see, I can't even remember what he was asking for it, but um, might be something I, I think about replacing that vibratory tumbler with. So anyway, that's what I'm up to today. I'll get back to you later. Hey, it's, uh, let's see, it's Monday the 27th. It's in the morning before work. Um, so I went and got that post vise yesterday and uh, it turned out to be a really nice one. It's a Colombian. It's got six inch jaws. It weighs about 90 pounds. It's pretty heavy duty. It's definitely larger uh, than the other two vices I have, which, which are also Colombian. Um, I have a four and a quarter jaw width Colombian, and then I've got a five inch. And uh, my four and a quarter is in mint condition. It's in great shape. And the spring is perfect. Everything works great on it. I use it all the time. It's the one that's uh, in the stand next to my anvil. And uh, it's basically my primary post vise. Uh, the five inch jaw is the one I kind of use just to kind of hold things sometimes when I'm welding. I've got this little portable welding table, which is basically just a, uh, like a 14 by I think 20 sheet of quarter inch plate. And, uh, I've got a piece of angle iron that's welded to the bottom and I grab that piece of plate and I'll stick it in a vise in that post vise and I cinch the post vise down and that becomes a, a portable or a temporary welding spot. You know, it's obviously not big enough to do big fabrication projects and things like that. But by and large, the most, uh, the, the biggest kind of welding that I do is on smaller items. You know, I'm welding up tooling or repairing small things or sticking pieces of metal together and you know for that kind of stuff that little small uh, welding table works great and it's really cool I can I can take that little piece of plate and move it to my other post vise near my uh, forge area and create another table you know so anyway uh, if, if any of you out there are looking for a quick way to make a small welding table or a small uh, workspace or work table, you can just take a piece of plate, put a piece of angle iron on it and stick it in your vise. But um, anyway, so the the five inch jaw Colombian is, uh, it needs a new spring. Uh, it has the original mount, but it also needs the clamping piece that holds the vise to the mount. Right now I've just got a U-bolt in there holding it together. So I think what I'm going to do is take that five inch jaw Colombian out and uh, 
reforge some parts for it to kind of make it nicer and make it work better and uh, find a place to put this big six inch. I might replace the vise in my main vise stand by the anvil with the six. Uh, I really like a low, a low vise in the shop. I don't know if you have seen these, but uh, sometimes people take leg vices and they will cut the leg off <clears throat> and then mount it to a stand that is closer to the ground so that when you walk up to the anvil, I mean, when you walk up to the vise, it's about the same height as your anvil, which is really handy um, to have so that you can actually kind of strike on that vise. Um, I know some people really dislike the idea of cutting a leg off a leg vise, and I'm one of those people. I don't like it much either. Um, I think the better option would be to bore a hole in the ground and sink the leg down in that hole. Um, but I really can't do that in my shop, so I don't know. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Might uh, might do that, might not. But uh, anyway, I took that vise apart yesterday, the six-inch vise, and uh, I found one problem with it. The, the lead screw that goes through the vise which is kind of like the lead screw in a fly press. It's, it's got these big, fat, chunky threads on it that you can't just go get machined real easily somewhere, you know. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure you could, but it would be pretty expensive. But anyway, this, this post vise or this leg vise, the lead screw in it, is missing about the last two inches so it's got a you can see where the lead screw was broken at the end it looks like the vise was completely closed up so that the lead screw was sticking out a little bit of the other side and it maybe fell over and snapped the last couple of inches off of that which what that means is that this vise won't open up to its full width. However, um, it still has enough thread on it so that I could get it about seven inches open and it still has plenty of thread to grab. So um, I'm trying to think of when I've needed or when I've tried to use my current post vices uh, that wide. And I, I really, I can't remember any time where I needed to put something in a, in my I keep saying post vice. I think the proper term is leg vice, but I can't remember the last time that I needed to do that. So I think the fact that it's missing a short length of the lead screw is not a problem. I mean, it bothers me because it means, you know, it, it means it's not completely original, but um, it's not going to affect the function of this vice in my shop in any way that I can tell. I mean, most of the time I'm clamping, you know, maybe two or three inch wide material at the biggest usually. Uh, and most of the time I'm clamping a lot smaller material than that in a vise to forge on it. So <clears throat> there's that, but I took it apart and uh, took the pressure washer to it and uh, blew all kinds of crud off of this 
vice. I mean, there was there was probably a quarter inch layer of old grease and caked up dirt and shop dust um, around the pivot pin area. It looks like somebody had been putting grease down there or something over the years to keep it lubricated. And uh, man, it was it was caked up all down on the leg and someone had spray painted uh, layers of silver and red paint on this vise at some point. And so I took a wire wheel on an angle grinder and uh, cleaned it up. I didn't take any metal off, you know, I was just, I was kind of being gentle. I took the angle grinder that I've got, which is variable speed, and I turned it down to a fairly low speed and I didn't really push real hard. I didn't want to remove metal because I was using one of those twisted wire wire wheels and if you push real hard you you know you'll you can actually abrade the surface pretty good with that kind of stuff but so I cleaned it up and uh, had all the parts laid out sprayed it down with degreaser and then pressure washed it again <clears throat> and uh, so now it's completely degreased and cleaned and uh, it's basically down to bare metal and ideally, you know, it, it should get a, like a forge finish coating on it, but I'm not going to stick this thing in the forge and heat it up just to, just to coat it. So I'm probably just going to cover it liberally with boiled linseed oil, put some grease on the lead screw and call it good. Um, so anyway, that's what I worked on last night was uh, working on that leg vise a little bit and so i'll put that back together and uh, i might see how it'll work on the existing stand i made i might see about making another stand and just having a a separate vise stand in the shop somewhere i don't know another project so i've still got three little hammer billets that i got made up that i need to turn into ball peens and i'm working on doing a giveaway on Instagram for that first one that I made. It's all ready to go. I just got to get some giveaway rules together and post that online. Doing giveaways can kind of be a pain in the behind because, you know, you got to track all the names and everything. But I think I've found a good way to do that. Basically, you open the... the uh, you open that particular post on a PC and you can select all the comments and export that into an Excel spreadsheet. And then you can do a duplicate finder to see if uh, people have entered their name twice or if people have commented, which would put their name in twice. And then that will give you a complete, unique list of names, which you then can look at the number of rows in your spreadsheet and then you can just go to a random number generator and uh, generate a number and bam, you got your winner. So I think that's what I'm going to wind up doing. So uh, if you want to get in on that, it's just going to be one of those kind of, a, I don't know, like and share or like and tag kind of things just to give me some way to be able to count up names. I thought about doing an email subscription kind of thing where people submit their email 
because that would be really easy. I'd, I'd be able to get a list of email addresses and then I could just pick one of those. But I don't know, people might think I'm trying to market something to them, which um, I don't really have any plans to to do that. But I'm just looking for a way to do this contest fairly quickly and easily. So anyway, I'm going to work on that later today and try to put that post up maybe tonight, maybe Monday night. So not sure when this podcast will air, probably, um, probably Wednesday or so, I would think. So anyway, I'll see you in the next segment. Well, uh, it's lunchtime, same day. Man, this is kind of a personal note for the podcast, and um, I'm sure some people may not really care, but um, we we have family pets like most people, you know, and we lost one of our dogs just a few months ago, and that was kind of rough. And the other day we found our male cat, a little cat named Buddy. Um, we found him in the backyard he had uh there's a horse farm behind our house and he had apparently been kicked or stepped on or something by one of the horses back there and he was in bad shape and the vet's office just called us and and said that we're probably going to have to make a pretty tough choice tomorrow and you know with my kids going through this whole lockdown scenario it's been hard on them and uh and now getting this news about, um, about one of their cats, you know, which they love. This is a cat that they've had since they were little, little tots, you know, and now they're 17 and 15 years old. So they've grown up with these, with these animals and, and, um, it's just tough, man. It's no fun. One of the hardest parts about being a parent is seeing your kids suffer or hurt. And, and again, I understand this is just an animal or just a pet, but, but to us, it's family and it hurts and it's hard. And one of those things we didn't expect, you know, and it's kind of just a kick in the pants, um, during a time when we're already struggling to try to stay upbeat and to stay busy. And, um, anyway, it's just kind of a big bummer and, um, I don't know. Just kind of wanted to share that and uh, just talk about it a little bit. It's one of those things that comes and happens in life, and I know it'll happen again. You know, everybody that gets a pet and then eventually loses that pet, they always say the same thing, or at least I do. I'm like, that's it. I'm done. (laughs) No more dogs. No more cats. We're done. It's too hard. And uh, then time goes by, and, and and you get another one, and you love that one, and then you go through the whole cycle again. It's just part of life, I guess, but it's no fun. So anyway, um, on a different note, um, I've been thinking about the tooling that I need to make for the, um, for the 88 and I want to make a bunch of different kinds of spring tooling. Uh, I've been going back and watching some of Brent Bailey's videos again Um, And I think I mentioned him in the last podcast. And so once again, if you don't know about Brent Bailey, go watch his videos on YouTube. 
Um, if you have a power hammer or you're interested in learning how to forge under a power hammer, it's, there's a lot of invaluable information there. But he uses a lot of spring fuller or, or spring tooling, which is basically a flat bar bent into a long U shape with uh, dies or shapes welded uh, at the end of the end of the open U. And then you put your work between that and you basically beat on that with the power hammer with your work between it. And that's what shapes your material. And so, um, anyway, I, I want to, uh, make a bunch of tooling for the 88. And so I just ordered some three sixteenths by one inch flat bar and some quarter inch round bar. The quarter inch round will become, uh, tools for things like flatters and, uh, swages and stuff that'll go on the hammer. But um, I ordered 40 feet of the 3 sixteenths uh, by one flat bar and 40 feet of the quarter inch round. And it was like, I think total tax and everything was 55 bucks. So uh, I think I've said this in a prior episode as well, but you know, buying steel is not super expensive. And the more you buy, the cheaper it is, especially if you buy from a... Um, a steel company rather than like a big box store or something like that. So I'm going to go pick up that stuff later today and, um, make some tooling this week. Um, I've made a little bit more progress on my order of crosses that I'm working on. I've, I've gotten most of the steel cut for that. I've got a little bit more to do. I'm still struggling with that horizontal bandsaw. The blade is jumping off the back wheel really bad. And uh, I've looked at it and I'm just, I'm clueless as to how to fix it. So I might make a video, I might take a video of that bandsaw and, and what it's doing and let some people take a look and see if anybody else has some suggestions on how to fix it. So I might throw that up on Instagram or, or IGTV sometime soon. So anyway, sorry for the uh, depressing update, but um, just part of what's happening in my world. So see you in the next segment. Hey, I'm back. It's Tuesday afternoon and, uh, it's been kind of a bummer day. We had, we had to run to the vet this morning and, uh, had to put my cat buddy, uh, to sleep. And that was really tough because he's, like I said previously, he's been part of the family and it was just really hard. You know, one of those things you just don't want to have to do. So, um, but it was the right decision. And um, sometimes with pets, you have to do those kinds of things. So, anyway, it's been kind of a bummer on the week so far. And um, But I did get out in the shop last night and um, worked on some more tooling for the power hammer. I, I took some of that 3 sixteenths by 1 flat bar and uh, forged, uh, I cut it to 24 inches for tool handles for some top tools that I'm making, um, some punches and um, some ball fullers and things like that. And then I took 36 inches of it and uh, welded some round bar to the ends of that to make some fullers for hammer making. I made some 5 eighths fullers and some 1 inch fullers. I posted some pictures of those to Instagram 
so you can kind of see. I took I took my cues again from Brent Bailey. He's got a, a video out there. If you go look, it's called uh, Tool Handles, I think is the name of the video. And it just details how he makes his tool handles. So I've been making all of my tool handles basically after that pattern. And uh, so let's see, just last night I made some half rounds to use under the power hammer for straightening and for other, you know, different things, which is basically just a piece of one inch round that's three inches long that I cut lengthwise in half. Those are just called half rounds. And um, you can place those on the anvil of the hammer and use them to straighten things or you can place one on the hammer and uh, use it with a top tool, you know, to do different kinds of forging. I made the two different spring fullers and um, I've got these other handles made. So I think, I think by the end of the week, I'm trying to make four or five tools a day right now. And by the end of the week, I'll have a bucket full of new power hammer tools uh, to be used. And so once I get all these tools done, I'm going to go back to start making some of those hammers using all these new tools and uh, try to figure out my process uh, a little better. Oh, one, one more thing that I, that I started the other day, I think two days ago, I actually got a notebook out and I started writing down my processes for various things. I wrote down my forging process for the ball peen hammer and for some the Mississippi ornaments. They're little Christmas ornaments, basic, basically the shape of the state of Mississippi. Let's see, um, the candle holders. I, I wrote down all these steps and I drew some little drawings out beside each one. And so uh, when I get all this tooling done, I'm gonna take the, the notebook and go to the pages where I wrote down all the steps for forging out the ball peen. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna step through those steps and make notes where necessary and finalize that. And uh, I think once I get all those notes finalized and uh, put together, I'll, I'll try to take some pictures and share those out. Um, I might eventually try to put all that into one kind of a book of all my different forge processes. Kind of like um, other guys have done, uh, not, not so much a how-to book, but just a process book on forging. But um, anyway, I do like the idea of keeping a shop notebook, a forge notebook. And so I'm going to try to keep that going. Uh, I'm going to, whenever I work on a project, I'm going to either create a new page or go to the previous or go to the notes that I've already made and try to constantly write down um, improvements to the process as, as I figure them out. So they don't, so that I don't forget them, you know, because if you don't make something for several months at a time, it's really easy to, to forget. You don't really forget how to make the item, but you forget some of the tooling you used and you forget some of the ways you use different machines. And um, so I think it's really good to keep up with all that. So um, anyway, I might post a picture or two of those notes along with this post with it along with this podcast when I get done. So anyway, um, that's just an update for today. I'll check back uh, tomorrow. Bye. Okay, it's Thursday afternoon. Well, it's right at noon on Thursday. 
and uh, taking my wife's vehicle to the dealership to get an oil change done. It's overdue. Got to get it done. Um, I uh, I got in the shop yesterday evening and um, did some more forging. I uh, cranked up the 88, broke out the new spring fuller tools that I made, and um, took... Uh, I had three of those one pound hammer billets left and uh, <laughs> I ruined one right off the bat. So I made this new round eye punch yesterday and um, I decided to try it and it was, it was just a little, it was too big of a punch for that small of a billet. And um, I smushed the eye off to one side pretty bad. So I chucked that under the forge and I grabbed another one of those little one pound billets <clears throat> and uh, punched the eye on the press real quick. And then I went back and did the drifting on the, on the 88 using a new hammer eye drift that I made out of some 4140. And, uh, and that all went really, really smooth. It worked really great. Um, the drift I made is slightly longer than the one I've been using, but it's it's still a stubby drift that I can grab with my tongs, and I can drive in with either the press or the power hammer, and um, I don't have to I don't have to go over to my swage block and drive a big uh, huge drift into place. Uh, I can just drive these small drifts in and then grab it with tongs and and uh, work, work the hammer shape out like that. But anyway, I went, I went through that process and uh, I started using the spring fullers to try and do the fullering on the, to separate the faces out on the hammer. And I just wasn't used to that process. And I found out really quick that if you don't get those spring fullers laid down perfectly flat on your bottom die when you make that first hit, you know, the force of that 88 um, is just going to throw your arm and the spring fullers all over the place. And so it took me a little bit of, uh, of learning to place the spring fuller on the die, seat the bottom of the spring fuller on the die perfectly flat, and then bring the, the ram down, um, the first few times I tried it, you know, I, I would think that I had the bottom of the spring fuller uh, flat on the die, but it would be just barely uh, kicked up at an angle, you know, just barely. And uh, sure, as soon as that ram comes down and hit the uh, the top of the fuller, you know, it would just it would bounce everything all over the place. And so, um, and I didn't notice that. I was I was taking some video with my phone of the process and I didn't really notice that I, that my spring fullers weren't sitting flat on the bottom dies until I looked at that video and then I could clearly see daylight under one side of the fuller that showed me that it was kind of tilted at an angle so I learned to start feeling for the flat you know I would kind of rock the fuller back and forth until it felt good and flat and then I would start forging down once I figured that out um, it worked pretty well but um, on that same note about tooling under the power hammer um, I spoke yesterday to um, 
I think his name is Michael Barton at Poison Ivy Forge. So, um, yeah, I had to, sorry, Michael, I had to look your name up on, uh, on Instagram to make sure I was getting it right. I knew Barton was right, but I couldn't remember Michael. So, um, anyway, Michael Barton with Poison Ivy Forge on Instagram reached out to me yesterday after I posted some videos on, um, my story. Um, he, man, that was a pro. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that, but I just took off at a red light and I have a propane tank in the back of the vehicle and it rolled back and hit the back door kind of hard. But, um, anyway, Michael Parton reached out to me and, uh, was telling me that, uh, one tip that he's found with top tools and punches is to run a bead of, of, weld on the top of the flat bar above the punch or whatever shape is welded to the end of your bar and that bead of weld gives a surface for the top die to strike rather than striking the side of the bar so this may be kind of hard to visualize but let's say you're holding a piece of uh quarter by one flat bar in your hand and you have a cylindrical punch welded to the end of it that you're trying to drive down into a rectangular billet and so if you have that punch sitting on top of your billet and you bring the hammer ram down if you don't have that punch and that bar perfectly parallel with the hammer ram then the ram might strike the bar that you're holding rather than the punch first. So if you're tilting the bar up, you, you, your die, I mean, your ram might strike that bar before it strikes the top of the punch, if that makes sense. And when that happens, it jars your arm really hard and it can cause your punch to kind of go off center. So he said that what he does is he welds a, a bead or like a little mound of weld on the top of his tools there and, and it kind of gives a domed out area for the, for the hammer rim to strike first uh, and it keeps you from having to be just perfectly parallel, you know. So that's a really great tip and um, and also, he mentioned, um, I was using coal dust as a punch release. And he said, you know, have you tried Fuchs uh, punch lubricant? And I've heard Dave Custer talk about it. And I've heard other guys talk about it. And everybody that I've talked to that has used it has said nothing but positive things about this stuff. It's, it's supposed to be like a graphite-based lubricant specifically for forging. And um, as I understand it, you just kind of dip your tool in, into the uh, into the lubricant, and then as you drive down into a, a billet or into some metal, it helps uh, to the, to release the tool. So I ordered some of that yesterday. Um, I think a pint was like twenty two bucks or something shipped. It wasn't that bad. So anyway, um, big thanks to Michael Barton at Poison Ivy Forge for those tips. Those were both extremely helpful. I'm going to go back and um, I think instead of running a bead of weld on the top of my punches, um, I'm just going to 
take a little tab of steel from my scrap bucket, you know, like a little one by one square of scrap steel, like eighth inch thick, and just tack weld that to the top of my punch to kind of give it that raised up area for the hammer to hit. And um, I'll give that a shot and see how that works. But anyway, those are great tips. I really appreciate it. If you guys aren't following Michael Barton over at Poison Ivy Forge, go give him a follow. Um, he's got some cool stuff on his profile. And uh, one thing I noticed that he's got is the uh, die saddle from Ken's Custom Iron. Or at least it looks like the die saddle that Ken's Custom Iron sells. And um, that is something that I have really been thinking about buying. Um, for the 88. I'd like to make, uh, I have a die saddle that was made for the 88 and I've been thinking about um, making a hardy hole on the side of that so that I can clamp in the spring fuller tooling. But um, if you go look at Ken's Custom Iron and look at their uh, die saddles that they make, they are just really really well built they're super polished out they're they're um, built to spec so you send them the size of your dies and they'll build it to fit your power hammer dies um, and it's got clamping on both sides so it not only clamps the die saddle to the bottom die but it also has a clamping lever on the other side so that if you put a tool into the hardy hole of the die saddle, it has a way to clamp that tool into place as well. So that's something that's really tempting, um, and I might do that. Might just be worth having uh, Ken's Custom Iron build something that would take me uh, several hours to build. So um, that's another company I really believe in a lot is Ken's Custom Iron. If you're not following them, go give them a follow. They make a lot of really cool stuff, including these uh, quick tong kits. And uh, I've used a lot of those. Um, I'm not against making my own tongs, obviously, but they sell these, uh, I think they're water jet or plasma jet cut uh, quick tong kits uh, that are extremely inexpensive. I think you can get a, a set of their tongs for like 10 to 12 bucks. And um, you basically just kind of forge the reins out a little bit and then uh, forge them to shape and rivet rivet the things together and you're done i mean it's it's really really quick so anyway a couple of shout outs today i wanted to talk about um i think i'm probably gonna let this wrap up this episode i've kind of rambled on but um yeah i'll see you next time bye about uh 10 30 on thursday night i think i'm gonna let this uh put an end to this particular episode <clears throat> I, I put the uh the big hundred pound post vice uh, all back together to, today i did find out that the numbering on it there's a double zero on one leg and you can just barely see a one in front of that so um from, from everything I've heard from everybody else, this is supposed to be a hundred pound, um, post vice. And, um, I got it all back together today. It looks really great. I think I'm going to mount it in my stand where my current four and a quarter inch jaw Colombian is. And so I'm going to kind of upgrade that 
area, but, um, so that's all back together and ready to be mounted. And, uh, let's see today I had a friend come over. His name is, um, Mark and, uh, he's got a handle on Instagram called, uh, twisted boxes. So, um, anyway, he's a local guy here in Mississippi and, uh, knows an awful lot about, uh, machinery and old machinery and bandsaws and stuff like that. I had him come over and take a look at my Wilton and, um, he helped me kind of figure out what was going on with it today. So, um, I think I've got it sorted and cutting again. So that's a really good thing. And, um, Oh yeah. He also brought over, uh, an old impeller that's uh, solid bronze. It's a bronze casting. And, uh, I think sometime in the near future, I'm going to tear that down into little pieces. I've got a crucible. I'm going to stick that in the forge and, uh, we're going to try to cast that into some bronze ingots and make some bronze, uh, hammers out of that stuff. So, That'll be fun. Something different. Um, anyway, yeah, I think that's going to end it for me for this episode. Uh, thanks again for everybody that's been uh, sending in feedback and all the tips that, that I've been receiving on the different projects that I talk about in the podcast. That's been a really cool thing um, to uh, talk about something on the podcast and then get feedback and help from people uh, a few days later after the podcast airs, uh, I, I've learned a lot from you guys and I really appreciate it. So, uh, again, thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye.